Good morning, friends, and welcome. Man, I don't know if you caught uh, worship this morning, but it was fire. It was so, so good. Make sure, man, you don't miss worship. Even online, it is so powerful. Well, if you just tuned in, if you don't know who we are, I'm Naeem, Pastor of Mosaic Church. We are excited that you joined us, regardless where you're from, and uh, we're in a series. We're in the middle of a series called No other. And uh, man, this morning though, I want to talk about this idea of no other God. But really quick, I want to tell you, yesterday, yesterday I got a chance to be a part of um, a 5K run, and it was from ICU Talks. It was hosted by them, and it's a mental health organization and led by Kim Honeycutt and her amazing team, but it was in honor of Claudia uh, Clayton, and uh, man, it was, it was really great, but I ran into a guy there that I had not seen forever, and I don't know if, if you understand, maybe if you're a dude, you understand, if you run into someone and you haven't met for a long time, you over-exaggerate, right? What's up, bro? Oh my gosh. So we were doing all the things that, you know, I don't know, some guys do, and, and uh, he was like, man, oh my gosh, and he said, you're my idol, bro, and then he stopped, and he was like, uh... Uh, I guess I shouldn't say that out loud, right? And I was like, I understand. He was like, no, whatever. And then he said, you know what? No, no, I can't do that because isn't there there a thing called like you should have no other gods? I'm like, listen, first of all, Yes, you're, you're right, you're right. There's, you should have no other gods. And this, conveniently, is the topic for this morning. This morning, we're going to talk about this idea of no other gods. Now, it's not a friend that you kind of say you look up to. No, no, that's not it. It's more than that. It's a deeper conversation. And so today, I want to talk about this idea of having no other gods. Now, last week... Uh, Kristen did an amazing job of talking about no other label. And this, uh, I mean, it was so good. You have to go watch that talk because these, these talks, I, 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 honestly, they're, they're kind of punchy. I mean, they're punchy in a really soft way. I don't know, but they're, they're really great because it, they're, they're not really a response to what's going on in our culture because what's going on in our culture is that everything is being politicized. I mean, everything, and you know it, and Jesus is being politicized. The church is being politicized. I mean, mask, I mean, coffee, everything is being politicized. What you watch, what you don't watch, what you agree. I mean, come on, flies are being politicized. I mean, come on, friends, everything is being politicized. So this series is not really a response to that. It's actually a reminder of who we are called to be as a church. If you're a follower of Jesus, who we're called to be in the middle of this highly politicized environment. And, you know, I just want to say this, you know, just know this, like there should be grace for everybody because right now our culture is going on, is, is, is overloaded. It's like, an, it's, like a, a, it's like a circuit that is, has too much electricity going through it. You know, it just short circuits. And that's what's happening in our world right now. That's why everybody's acting a little strange these days. So that's why I think it's so important for us to have a conversation about what it means to be followers of Jesus. It's a good reminder for us. And so this morning, I want to talk about this idea of no other gods. Like when Jesus talks about that, when, when, when the scriptures mention it, what are they talking about? And what's this idea of uh, having idols or, or idolatry, if you've ever heard that word? What, what does it mean? What does it look like? Well, let's start with the passage of scripture that this guy was referencing when he said, oh, we shouldn't have any other gods. He's talking about Exodus 20. Let me read it to you. It says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery, and then he says, you shall have what? No other gods before me. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about this, the most important commandment, and he says this, Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? 
This is the question asked to Jesus. And Jesus replied, he says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now he goes on, but he talks about this being the starting point. This is from the jump needs to be your vision of what, it need, needs to, uh, need, what you need to be uh, as a follower of Jesus. This idea of having no other God before you. Now, do you have other gods? Now, you might think, well, I kind of, I kind of, I'm down with Jesus and I'm good with that. I think, like, um, you know, I have Hindu friends that might have different gods. No, I'm talking about uh, something that you've made a god. Uh, idols. When it talks, when the scriptures talk about um, gods and idols and other things that compete with the, for the affection and the attention of God, they're talking not just about other religious philosophies. They're in fact talking about certain things that we as humans take and um, just look to and wait on. In fact, that's pretty much what it is. I mean, you know, technically you can figure out what an idol is. It's what you worship, what you adorn, what you set up as an altar in one sense. But really the reality is, is the things we look to. We look to for peace and direction. We look to for security and identity, whatever we look to. Now, it might be a certain party, it might be a certain label, it might be a certain position in life or a season of life. Whatever we look to, we pay homage to, that becomes the idol in our life. Whatever we wait on, we wait on to provide security, we wait on to provide satisfaction, we wait on to provide purpose in our lives, that becomes an idol in our lives. And here, the scriptures are really pretty blatantly clear on like God saying, let me just prefer, let me give you my preference. You have no other God. You have no other God. And you know what's really interesting is whenever the scriptures talk about this idea of having no one else, it's not this idea of like, no, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I get uh, insecure when you worship other gods or uh, the idea of discovering and relating to other things out there you shouldn't even look at. It's not like a jealous girlfriend kind of a situation or a jealous boyfriend. That's not the deal here. You see, the scriptures do talk about God being a jealous God, but it's not in the context of what we think and how we apply. See, we just take the word jealousy and we just you know, superimpose uh, our views on what it looks like. You see, the scriptures talk about when, that, that when you and I uh, focus on understanding who really God is and making him the one and only, it actually begins to define all of who we are. Because what we put up and what we look to and what we wait on ends up defining us. I mean, we, we basically pick out or create our own idols, but those idols, in fact, turn around and give us identity. They give us life. They give us um, worth and they in fact inform all our life values and so it's so important for you to go and I, for me to go to go uh, think uh, what have I put up there that I constantly look to I constantly wait on to change my life right now. Right now, you're looking at your situation. You're thinking about maybe even the U.S. You're looking at something to make a serious change in our world or within you or in your, in your world and what is it? And could it be possible that you've set that up because you're looking at that thing that once that thing provides for you, then you'll be all good. You see, there's a possibility that you and I have fallen right into this. You see, here in Exodus 20, the context of this is that God talks to a people and he tells them, hey, I am your Lord, your God. I'm the one who created you. Like you have, you have, 
intrinsic value and you were created supernaturally by me. So I am your father. I'm the creator of you. You have to just understand that, first of all. Then he says, I bought you, brought you out of, out of Egypt, which means he's saying that he brought us out of something we got ourselves into. You see, the Jewish people got themselves into Egypt. It wasn't like people took them and all they went to Egypt. No, there was a famine, there was an issue, and a long time ago, the Jewish people decided because there was a famine, they would all go to Egypt, that land, because they wanted to survive, they wanted to have a better life. And that land itself, that prosperity enslaved them. And then he says, and I took you out of the land of, it was the land of plenty, but now he's calling it the land of slavery. And then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You see, I think what God is saying here, I, I mean, I could be wrong here, but I think what he's really saying is, is that you are intrinsically um, spiritual. You are from, from the beginning very spiritual, but you need to learn to become human. See, we think we're human and we, learn, we need to learn to become spiritual. And I think that's, what she, that's the problem with understanding this life with Jesus. See, the life of Jesus is this. You are spiritual. Now I'm going to teach you what it means to be fully human. That's what he's saying here. If you follow any other God, all the other gods will enslave you. But I'm telling you, I'm the Lord your God who created you. I took you out of the, thought, the, the, the place that you thought was good for you. And I'm telling you, don't have any other gods. Because whatever you create, what you create and then you begin to worship, it will enslave you. That's why money, when he talks about that, he says, hey, money, money will enslave you. You cannot serve two masters. Anything and everything that's made in creation or by creation begins to enslave the other. That's the nature of things. It is nature itself, if you, look, if you think about it. But here he's saying, I want to teach you how to be human. You are spiritual. And here's how you are supposed to be as a human. You're supposed to start off by living free. And the only God who allows you to be you and, and speaks to you and, uh, and, speak, and calls you out of, uh, uh, calls everything out of you is, is me. And so you need to have no other gods before me because if you begin to, you'll suffer the consequences. And see here, um, we, we kind of understand that, but as in spirituality, or if you're a follower of Jesus, or you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, I think it gets really fuzzy sometimes. It gets like, well, I, I, I got the, okay, I get this name, I, I, I don't have any other gods, and, and I, but, but do you though? I feel, I find myself uh, really struggling with this. Let me read you a passage of scripture. And Jesus took this, I took this idea of no other gods and he makes, makes it super personal and pretty, pretty uncomfortable. This is Matthew 10. This is Jesus talking. He says, whoever loves father or mother or son or daughter more than me is not fit to be my disciple. Wow, okay. And, and whoever comes to me must follow in my steps and be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own. By the way, this is the first time in the Gospels that Jesus mentions him and the cross. Like, when he mentioned the cross, when he just threw out this idea of, like, the cross, the, the disciples, I mean, all of a sudden woke up. They're like, oh, hold on, hold on. You're talking about crucifixion? Are you talking about the Roman crucifixion thing? 
Because this is, we understand the cross because we've read the scriptures. No, but for them, all of a sudden, a rabbi to talk, talk about the cross, they have a lot of context about what it means, what, what he's talking about. Like, it's like saying, hey, and whoever follows my step must be willing to, um, you know, share the electric chair. What, what electric chair? What are you talking about? I thought we were talking about peace, love, feeding people, all that good stuff. He throws in the cross. Remember, the cross wasn't sacred. The cross was a Roman uh, punishment, severely horrific punishment. In fact, like several hundred uh, years before Jesus, there was a huge um, revolt in which the Jewish people tried to get out of uh, slavery and uh, thousands of Jews were crucified. Thousands of Jews were crucified by Romans just as a lesson that they, that, that, uh, that they were, the Romans were in charge. So his disciples had a very uh, bloody, in a sense, idea of what the cross meant when he threw that in. Then he says this, he says, he says and experience it as his own, or he cannot be considered by disciples. And then he says, all, all who seek to live apart from me will lose it all. But those who let go of their lives for my sake and surrender it all to me will discover true life. Man, he, he's, he's, he's really putting it out there. He's, he's getting extreme. In fact, if you read uh, other parts of the same thought here, uh, you, you find where Jesus starts off by even saying, hey, you think I came to bring peace. I did not. I came to bring a war. I came to divide. I, I came to divide uh, father and mother, and it came to divide son and daughter. I, I came to divide families. And then he get, launches into this whole idea of loving him more than anybody else. Why does Jesus do this? You see, I'd heard about this passage, but I, I in a sense, um, you know, in a small way, got to experience it. When I first came to, uh, to faith in Jesus, I was the second one in my family to come to him. And, and so my brother and I were the only followers of Jesus. And my sister was coming into uh, the States. And this was like, uh, you know, mid uh, 1990s. And she came in, she got accepted to college. And then she um, started living with us. And I got to share my experience with her. And when I did that, um, the night that I did that, she stopped talking to me. In fact, she just, she didn't talk to me for weeks on end. And it was, uh, it was, she was saddened by it. She was, uh, she was confused by my conversion. She was angry at me. And I was wondering, like, you know, like, why are you putting all the blame on me? Because, like, my older brother was the first guy to convert, and you're talking to him. I remember uh, being so confused by the idea and so um, taken by the thought that I would have to live my entire life without a relationship with my sister. Now, for some of you, you're like, ah, hallelujah, sign me up for that. But for me, it was like, I cannot believe that. I remember walking, this, uh, the, walking the beach in Charleston, South Carolina, one sun, uh, sunset, and, and thinking, are you serious about this? Are you serious? Does that mean that there are going to be people in my life I'm going to forever have to decide not to have a relationship with or I can't have a relationship with? Are you saying that choosing you means, means that I'm, I, didn't, I, don't, I don't get to choose the other relationships in my life that I feel that are important? And I remember this verse coming to life. And I remember my response to it. Let's be honest. I said, I don't think I can do this. Jesus, I, I, 
I love you and all that, and I know I'm, I'm called to this, and I, I, I had a, a pretty intense uh, um, experience, so I, I knew that, you know, that I, I, I had a purpose in life that was going to be beyond my ability to even comprehend, but man, I thought, are you serious, though? Like, if she's not talking to me, I've got another sister, another brother, mom and dad, and i got a lot of friends. So I'm saying no to all of those? And I remember just saying, God, I'm not quite sure if I can do this, but I do know I love you. I do know I love you. See, I think that's where, um, that's where you get real with God. That's what he wants us, at a place of understanding that, hey, we have to, we have to, fully understand what he's calling us to. Because sometimes we just like, we don't understand and we agree. Have you ever been there? Or you, you, um, you don't understand and you don't agree. Like, have you ever like stopped going to a church or stopped listening to someone because you're like, oh, I don't believe what they're saying. Number one, you might not even understand what they're saying. And others of us, we have agreed to people and we're like, oh yeah, I'm for you. Yes, yes, amen, preach that that's, yes, yes, yes. And then you totally understand where they're coming from and you go, oh, I don't know about this. You see, Jesus is saying, if you, I'm inviting you in, I'm inviting you in to just worship me. There's no other God who, uh, but me who, who leads you into freedom, but you need to know the cost. You need to understand what it means to just be fully focused on me. He, move, he moves this conversation even further in John. Let me read this to you. And this is where Jesus lost a lot of church people. He lost a lot of church people, okay? It actually said this in the scriptures. This is John 6. John, Jesus said to them, he says, Very truly I tell you, unless you, eat, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, the Son of Man, Ben, ben Hadad, what is the term? This is, this, this is a very humbling term, but he talks about the human side of God as well. And he says, if, unless you eat uh, the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you what okay could you imagine just listening like you imagine coming in you're like okay this one's going to be a good one and then he launches off today i want to talk to you about eating my flesh yes vampire training 101 like what 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 is like what is this going on are we talking about like the apocalypse what, what what's going on then he says whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Let me just read this again to you guys. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Bro, what? What, what are you saying here? Then he says, just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Like he's eating the flesh of the Father and we eat the flesh. Like there's a blood. What is going on? Then he goes on and says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. When he says this is the bread, what is he looking at? He's going this. He's like, this is the bread. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. Remember grandma? She died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And then it says at that point, many left. They were like, oh, we out. This, this is over. We're not doing this. 
This is not happening. This is, it is already strange because he's a rabbi, but it's preaching on the, in the streets. He's not allowed in the synagogues. He's talking about the way versus the law of Moses. Like, he's already weird. Okay, now he might be coming. I mean, he's, I know he's Middle Eastern, but then he's got these, all these other uh, ideas out there. I mean, he might, I mean, he was 40 days in the desert, bro. Like, that, was, that could make anybody crazy. Now he's talking about human, eating human flesh here. What's going on with him? And they begin to leave. Jesus, at that point, if you read it for yourself, Jesus at that point uh, looks at them leaving and then he turns to his disciples and he says this. He says, you want to leave as well? Like that. And then Peter, because he's the, uh, the guy, right? He goes, no. He says, where would we go? You have the words of life. See, they, they understood something that I think we fail to understand. What we fail to understand is that, friends, is that, that, that there is a sustenance that comes, a spiritual sustenance that comes, that only is found in, in God and in the person of Jesus. And that, that there's so many of us as we are people who are either religious or we are, we're Christians. And it's great. But your sustenance is, has come from going to church. And what's happened here is that there's no longer going to church for a lot of us. And some of us are flocking to, again to find sustenance where they can actually go to church. Because your, what you think is the fuel that you, you think you burn and live on and run on is going to church and going to do things. And it's really founded in, in religious activity. And here, the scriptures are like, no, it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. You have, to, you have to commune with, you have to be connected to you have to understand that he is the fuel that your soul burns, lives on, runs on. And if you don't understand that, you're going to find other things to fill your soul with and other things to find your, uh, fill your heart with. And that's why we have so many followers of Jesus who, who are living lives full of anxiety, full of stress, with no, with, with no peace, no confidence. Why? Because I think we've been feeding on each other and not on him. Do you hear me? We've been feeding on each other and not on him. We've been feeding on things that were created by us and just on creation and not on the creator itself. You see, I, 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 I know it gets a little tricky here because as followers of Jesus, you're like, okay, but, but how does this work? How does this work? How, how, you know, I, I wrote down on my notes, I was like, you know, I think f- for so many of us, we, we, we're trying to do this. We're trying to, we're making God, because what we want to do is we want to make God come alive in us, right? We want to make God come alive in us. And, and that's the prayer. You know, we want God to come alive in us. We want to make God come alive in us. And I think uh, we have to reverse that. It's this actually following Jesus and the scriptures that, are, that I just read is really not about us making God because that's, where we, that's, that's the wrong you know, step right there, trying to make God. I think it's not making God come alive in us. It's making us come alive in God, which is a totally different conversation. It's us surrendering our lives to him. It's us moving towards a, God, whatever you want in my life, I'm up for it. I'm here. It's not us making God. It's allowing God to make us. You see, if you can go, you know what? I'll have no other gods before him. I'll have no other gods before him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get that. But are you humble enough? Are you, are you willing to change enough to make that a reality in your life? Your idea about God might be the idol that you worship, not God himself. 
So, uh, so what does that mean? What does it mean? There's a lot of things I said, okay? Let me give you two big ideas. Number one, I believe, is, is that, that we have to understand that we can't own God. We can't own God. We can't. In fact, I think you need to disown God. Now, you might go, okay, that's when I click off here. Disown. Yeah, yeah, let me explain. Let me explain here. You see, as followers of Jesus, and even as people who are Christian, um, uh, Christians and part of a huge movement, Sometimes we just think we own God. We own him. We know everything about him. We figured it out. And I think it starts with us disowning him, saying, you know what? We don't have ownership of God, which I'm telling you, friends, if you read what we, we, what we all read and all the books and, then, and most of the songs, it's like our God, not yours. We got him, you don't. It is amazing the amount of pride that comes across from us. The, the idol that we have bowed down to is this. We have figured him out. We know it. Do you know that systematic theology did not exist up to just recently? Let me take a drink first. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Systematic theology, what was that in Jesus' time? Did Jesus even have a system? Please. No, we made it up. And so I'm all for it. The problem with theirs is then we begin to own God. Let me tell you what God says about our theology and our systems of thinking. He says this, Isaiah 55, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. Can you say nothing? Nothing, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. He's like, he's like let, let me just tell you, when you come up and you pray and you fast, I love when people go, you know what, I fasted and prayed and I, and I know what God is like and I'm going to write a book about it. And I'm like, that's wonderful, bro. Sis, that, good for you. But I just wanted to remind you of this. Like, th- there's no way that you figured him out and we figured him out. And any theology that says that we figured God out is one that is contrary to what even he says. Do you know of this star? It's called Proxima Centauri. Proxima Centauri, which is fancy, uh, is the second closest star to us besides the sun, okay? The second one, Proxima Centauri. Now, how far is that for us with our technology right now? If the Voyager were to take a trip right now and get to that star, it would take 73,000 years to get there, to the closest star in our galaxy, in our galaxy, the closest star. We don't even have time in this state to actually get to that reality. I mean, I don't know about you, but I ain't living for 30, I mean, what I was, 73,000 years. I mean, so what is he saying? God is honestly saying this. He says, let me just tell you, you, in this reality you live in, this, you, have, you do not have the capacity to contain me. I'm not saying this because I just think very differently. It's not about different. It's about how expansive my thoughts are and what's going on in not just your galaxy, in the galaxies. You cannot contain me. So stop trying to say, you know me. You see, I think what we need to practice is this idea of humble theology. 
humble theology. Lord, we go, you know what? Um, we, we, uh, we, we're confident in the fact that uh, we can't contain him. See, prideful theology is that uh, I can contain him and I'm confident. It's the opposite. You see, it starts with us going, we have this God out there. To put God out there and to say, we're going to worship no other God, we have to start with saying, we don't even own you. You are beyond us. Beyond us. Friends, this is so important for us who are especially followers of Jesus. And if you've been in followers of Jesus for a long time. Let me, let me just say this. Let me just say this. You've always heard this idea of sinners repent, right? You, have, you, know, you see the guy, the, you know, the, the, the symbolic, I guess, the iconic image of the, of the, uh, of the uh, street preacher, right? You know, repent. You know, sinners repent, right? Repent. In fact, I think if you uh, go out of South Carolina or come back into South Carolina or something, there are big signs, you know, Jesus saves, repent. You think it's hot here, you know, all kinds of creative stuff, right? But it's always like sinners repent, sinners repent. And I, I understand that. Why? Because when sinners repent, you allow salvation to take place. But what happens when righteous people repent? When the righteous repent, then that releases power. That re- releases a, a renewal. That releases all kinds of other things. You see, right here, what the scriptures are saying, the righteous, maybe you and me, need to repent from thinking we know God and we own him. I was recently interviewed by um, uh, a research uh, organization and they're doing a, a study on churches, diverse churches, and she was talking to me about how, how is it that Mosaic works. And we've always been a church that started with the idea of being diverse and we've ne- we're not moving away from it. Right, right? So we want to be a diverse people, uh, that, uh, a community that lives by faith, that's known by love, and that's a voice of hope. And as she was talking about it, she was like, okay, okay, I get the, I, the idea, and, but how do you have people from opposite sides of political stance and opposite sides of all kinds of like, sensitive issues in the same room? How do you do that? How do you get different people, not just uh, young and old, but different ethnic groups, uh, but uh, socioeconomic groups, and how do you get those people in the room? How do you do that? And then he, she says, well, how do you even get people who are not followers of Jesus? Because isn't the glue that keeps the mosaic together Jesus? But what if they don't even believe in Jesus? How do you do that? How can you have non-believers and atheists even part of your community? Which we do have. We have that. And I told her this. I said, here's, here's why we believe that. Because see, as, 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 sometimes as Christians, we just think that we own Jesus. And so that we, the, our idea of who Jesus is and our experience with who Jesus is, uh, is the glue that should put everybody together. You see, but it's more than that. We don't own God. And the, so because we don't own God, we don't own love. And we don't own faith. And we don't own hope. And I said, so you, you, atheists love deeply. Now, they might call it something else, but they love deeply. And so it's really, uh, it works because we have repented from the idea is that if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a Christian, you really don't love. So often we've heard it, and I've heard it. Oh, you don't really have faith because you don't really love your kids. You don't really care for people because, you know, because, you know, uh, you don't experience God's love. There are so many Christians who don't experience and have not truly experienced God's love. And you know what I'm talking about. So friends, see, you can't contain love. 
And so that's why I think we start with the idea of like, hey, okay, if we're going to really worship this God, we have to disown him. Number two, we, we can't dismiss him. We have to discover him. We have to learn to discover him. We can't dismiss him. Uh, because see, what happens is when you own God, when you own uh, and figure out what, who God is, it's so easy to dismiss him. You see, we, we go, well, why, if God, if this, if, if, if God is this, or if Jesus is this, or he said this, then why is this not working? Like, that's the argument. Why is this happening and that? Like, this and that argument. And so it's easy to just dismiss him. See, it's also easy to dismiss people we've become so familiar with. Isn't it true? It is. If people you're so accustomed to, you tune out. Okay, maybe I just do. I'm sorry. Okay, people I just know and are so familiar and so comfortable with, guess what? I'm not really listening sometimes. I'm kind of doing my thing, and I kind of generally know what they're going to say. You live with people. You might know some people. When they start talking, when they have a certain kind of tone, you kind of know what they're going to say. And what do you do? You're like, I am listening. I'm listening. I'm listening. You're not listening. I am so listening. I am so listening. Why? Because you're like, I know what you're going to say. We do this with God all the time. I know, I, I, I know. Uh, yes, yes, I know, I know. Love, love, love. Okay, got, got it. I don't want to listen to that. That's good, that's good. Well, okay. Oh, I'm going to have a verse about the Bible. Like, what, really? What, what are we doing? We don't mean to, but it's easy to dismiss someone that we haven't truly taken the time to fully discover. Because here's the problem. When we discover God, we go, that's it. It's over. No, 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 no. No, no, no. The word discovery means uh, action and process. That's the act of discovery. That means it's not a one-time thing. It continues to happen. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was, uh, I was in L.A. and uh, just hanging out with some friends, attending a conference, and I was talking to uh, a guy there, just, just a guy I'd never met before, and we were talking about what he does, and he is a house manager, and I was like, okay, what's a house manager? So now this is like, uh, he, uh, he works on, in Beverly Hills, and, and he was talking about that there are people that he worked for that are so wealthy, that have such huge mansions, that uh, he is the manager of the, all the staff that work to run the house. Now that's an amazing, like wow, just think about that, wow. Can you get like a, like a parent manager, like a kids manager, like you're in charge of all my kids. Is that a live-in nanny or something? I don't know, but anyways, he was in charge of all the people who run the house, the staff who run the house. And he was ta- I was like, tell me about that life. He was like, yeah, that's what we do when we have events and all that. And then I was like, uh, so how many people uh, in one house he, he manages? He was like, uh, 20 staff. I said, 20 staff members in this one house that run the house? And then I said, how big is the house? And he says this. He says, let me just tell you. I have one of those hoverboards that I use to go from one end of the house to the other. And I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm sorry, what? And he's like, yeah. Sometimes he says I got to use a Segway. I'm sorry, what? He said, yeah, that's how big this house is. And these are the size of houses that we have. He's like, there are rooms I, have, I don't have time to go into. I don't know. I just tell people to go into. I'm like, whoa, I can't even imagine that. Okay, now, 
you remember this cheesy song called uh, My Father's House? Okay, now I didn't grow up with it. Some of you guys know, right? I don't even know how I can sing this song. It's my father's house. Um, uh, it's someone in the crowd. Can someone in the crowd, there are some people in the crowd here. Help me out here. Who is it? How's, it? how's it go? How's it go? It's my father's house. Big, big house and lots of lots of room. And big, big table, table where we can, what? Lots and lots of food. And then a big, big place where we can play football. That's such an American song, isn't it? Wow. That's what, God, that's what Jesus said. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving right now. I will go and make room for you to play football. Like, okay, that's hilarious. But anyways, could it, be, could it be possible that the life that you live right now with God is that you only discovered two or three rooms in this huge mansion called God? And this, this mansion is so big, and you have made opinions about who God is and maybe even dismissed God because you've only lived in two or three rooms, maybe five. And there are millions of other rooms. You see, we have an opportunity, but also there is um, a danger for us to, to be so content with the four to five rooms of God that we have dwelled in our whole lives. And then, because something goes wrong, we dismiss them, and we no longer enter a certain room. And then we end up living our lives because of despair, because of hopelessness, because of a letdown, because if we prayed, 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 and nothing happened, we begin to just live our life in one room with God, and that's it. In a mansion that has thousands and thousands Friends, um, that's why he says, don't have any other God before me. You don't even have the time to have any other God before me if you really put me as God. You don't have the time. You don't need the satisfaction. You can't contain me. This life of yours is so limited right now. This experience you're having is so limited right now. And I am so, so much more. So, what does it look like for you to begin to not dismiss him, but to dis- rediscover him? And for you, some of you, it's like you've dismissed him because you're like, I don't even believe that Jesus is the way. I don't believe. Do, but but how, why do you not believe that? Why do you not believe he could be the way? You're like, well, I, don't, I just don't understand. I get that. I don't understand a lot. You don't understand a lot. But what if you actually lived from this moment on to say, I'm going to rediscover who God is. I'm going to move towards discovering all of who God truly, truly is. What would that look like? I love the account of Jesus with this woman uh, at a well. And it's, there's so much to the story, but basically she's going to get some water, and Jesus asks her for a drink, and he goes, you know, she starts a conversation, and then Jesus says something to her about the water uh, that she's pulling out and having to drink. And he says this. He says, this is in John chapter 4. He says, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an will be an artisan spring within gush, gushing fountains of endless life. Man, again, he talks about this idea of like when we are in him, when we drink of him, when we eat of him, when we, when we, when we allow ourselves to be sustained by him, the, we don't just 
are nourished. We become this source, this, of, of, uh, this fountain of endless life. This is what God is calling us to. And this is the love that God has. You know the profound thing about this story is this? Is, is that so Jesus didn't have to stop here. He changed his plans, in a sense, and he stopped here. He could have gone somewhere else and he, he, because he wanted to have an encounter with this woman. And this is the beauty of the God you serve. This is the God who says, don't have, her, have any of the God before me. This is, this, is, this is the beauty of this. This passage tells me that God is willing to change the whole world around just to get me facing the right direction. God is willing to change plans. God is willing to change the whole world around just to get me to face him. I mean, that's such a beautiful image, isn't it? It's not the God who says, turn around and face me. Change your plans and face me. Because sometimes we find ourselves in so much idolatry. We find ourselves in so much bondage that he goes, I'm going to change the whole world just so I can face you and you can face me. And that's why the psalmist says in, in Psalm 121, he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth. So friends, let's not have any other God before us. Let's allow Jesus to shape our very souls Let's, let's, let's discover him more and more and more. And then let's also commit this day, this, uh, uh, this moment to create and build an inner altar within us and not create an outer one because an inner, an inner altar in which God is the head of everything and he is the source of everything will change you from the inside out. And that's what you need. You don't need, you know, an outer piece. You need an inner piece. You don't need an outer, you know, um, uh, uh, stress-free environment. Or uh, You need inner. Everything that we need in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of this highly politicized world, we need something that fills us from the inside out. And he's the only God who can do that. So let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you, God, there are some of us that, are, that find ourselves in a place, God, that we really do need to. We really do need to move towards, God, creating an inner um, altar where we, we can, in fact, uh, find you in a profound, profound way. God, I just ask you in Jesus' name, God, to do something that only you can do. Father, I pray that there are people out there who will be moved by this moment and they would decide once and for all that they are going to commit everything to you. And God, for some of us, it's such a hard thing to do, so hard for us to move towards that because we've allowed other things to enslave us. God, would you be the God? Would you be the God who takes us out of the Egypt that we've created out of slavery. And that God, that we would choose to have no other God before you because no other God provides peace and purpose like you. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, let's respond to what God is doing in your life. I know that God has challenged you, and I know he wants to do a work. What does it look like for you to really respond in this moment? Let's do that together.